This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, upfront, up close, uplifting, and today especially, up and coming. Catch a rising star. That is exactly what we are about to do. Please meet Martina Ortiz-Luis, singer, songwriter, actor, 19 years old, on the way to superstardom. She recently released two singles, No Love and Irrelevant, all on major streaming services. She has a recurring role on Sci-Fi's Winona Earp. Martina became the first ever official anthem singer for the Toronto Maple Leafs and recently wowed the crowd at the Canada's Walk of Fame Awards night in 2019. She even presented an award to Alessia Cara. Now it is her time to shine. Please welcome Martina Ortiz-Luis to In Conversation. Hi, Martina. Hi, thank you for having me. You have done so much in such a short period of time. Tell me about how it all got started. Let's go back in time to, let's say, when you were four years old. What were you doing? (laughs) So what happened was, um, ever since I was three years old, my parents put me in singing lessons. And um, when I was four... I started doing competitions and I started performing live and that's just how it it all started. I've been performing for events all across the GTA, all across Canada really um, ever since then. So, yeah. So what was it about your voice that your parents thought, hmm, might need to give her singing lessons, and at age three, were you the type of child who sang all through the house all the time as a little one? Yeah, so it's really funny because my, my parents tell me that um, as, a, as a little kid, I was pretty much late to everything. I was late to learn how to talk. I was late to grow my first tooth. I was late to learn how to, how to walk. But then when I was two years old, um, we went to a family party where there was karaoke because you know Filipinos love karaoke (laughs) and um, the next day they realized that I picked up the songs that were being sung that night and I was singing them from like top to bottom and I was trying to mimic the sounds I was trying I I knew the words I knew the melody and they were shocked that at two years old I was singing with vibrato and so they were my mom thought you know what I think we should try to put her in singing lessons. And um, that's kind of how it started. Wow. Thank goodness your mom had that foresight to do that. That's fantastic. And isn't that interesting Mm -hmm. that that part of your brain was activated when it came to music? You know, music is the Mm -hmm. universal language, and it's very important when it comes to things like Alzheimer's research. People who are having memory problems are able to remember clearly lyrics to songs, Mm -hmm. which I find fascinating. So so you uh, worked with World Vision. You were a youth ambassador at a very young age, but that also Mm -hmm. helped you be inspired as a songwriter. Something within World Vision ignited that passion for you. 
because I was so closely involved with them when I was younger, it was kind of this thing where, um, you know, at the time I was, I was really young. I think when I was 12, that's when I first released my first song and I didn't really know what to do with it. And so I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll give all the proceeds to World Vision and, you know, that kind of snowballed into them wanting me to write their Christmas jingle. They recognized that I had this ability to write. And so I was kind of, you know, forced to write a Christmas song in the middle of the summer in August. And they ended up using it for their Christmas campaign that year. And it was used all over North America, which is, which is really cool. And they took me on a media tour across Canada. Um, and, and yeah, they were just an incredible organization to work with. And I really believed in the work that they were doing. As do as do I. And am I at liberty to ask you to just sing a little bit of that? I think it's called The Spirit of Christmas. Is that correct? The Christmas jingle that you wrote? <laughs> yes. It's actually funny because I, I, haven't, I haven't heard it in so long. But, um, oh, my God, how does it go? In the spirit of Christmas, we've come from the heart. A world vision gift is where it all starts. Oh, that was beautiful. And your memory came back very quickly <laughs> about the lyrics because you wrote them. <laughs> so yep. tell me about your experience with The Voice. That's a worldwide franchise. You ended up mm-hmm. somewhere not in, in North America as part of The Voice franchise. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I joined The Voice Philippines pretty much a year after I, I wrote that song uh, for World Vision, um, which is really funny because, you know, it was a North American thing. Then I ended up traveling to the Philippines and, you know, I was really young and I auditioned for the show and they, they wanted me to be a part of it, which was an incredible experience. My coach, uh, Bamboo, was so hands-on and he really wanted our team to thrive and not just, you know, have this experience of singing on the show, but he really wanted to teach us and help us in our performance. And, you know, I met a lot of amazing and talented kids and um, it was it was ultimately a really good learning experience for me, and um, it was really cool. I ended up being part of the top six of my team, and it was really fun because it was it was kind of like a camp. Like all of us <laughs> all of us kids were there, and we were at the at the studio all the time and learning these songs and um, just hanging out with each other all the time. So it was it was it was a really um, it was intense, but it was it was a good learning experience. You know, Martina, many, 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 many years ago, there was something similar to that called the Mickey Mouse Club, where young people mm-hmm. got together and they sang and they performed, and there, it was some of it was on television, but it was a great training ground. So let's mm-hmm. now move to you today. You're 19 years old. You've just released two singles, "No Love" and "Irrelevant." Where did the inspiration for the lyrics and the music come? Let's start with No Love. Um, well, it's really, it's, it's not too funny. It's kind of sad, but um, uh, No Love kind of came from, um, well, to start, I, I wrote this song with two other incredible artists, one being a producer that has worked with, you know, um, Rihanna, Drake, uh, Alessia Cara, his name is um, T, and another great songwriter, um, Alexander Sumalius. 
and we they kind of sat me down for the songwriting session and they were like okay so first thing we're going to ask you is what are your thoughts on love mm-hmm. and you know at the time i one of my best friends had just gone through like the a really bad breakup and you know i was kind of thinking to myself well i don't think that's that's for me like i've seen it go wrong um which i say in the song i've seen it all go wrong before and so that's not really um not really for me and so that's where the idea for no love um came into play uh and for irrelevant the idea for that was kind of just um men can't can't take no for an answer and it kind of just bothers you and you know you try to be polite about it but at one point you just got to put your foot down and just be like no that's not that's not for me and so that's where irrelevant kind of came from and um yeah that's that's how those two songs were born do you do you find it easier to put pen to paper uh in i mean that's kind of an old-fashioned term when you write your lyrics rather than having to Mm -hmm. actually face this in life so for instance irrelevant when you may have come across someone who just wouldn't take no for an answer or did you feel more comfortable writing about it rather than actually living it Oh, for sure. And in in that way, um, music is kind of like therapy for me. I write down my thoughts down, and um, it's it's you know it's an outlet pretty much, and it's a, it's a healing process. That's what I think it is for me. And so yeah, for sure, it's it's a lot easier to um, kind of write those down and get those out on paper and in music rather than in person. It's kind of an escape. <laughs> You know, you're a beautiful young woman. Your voice is absolutely incredible. Your songs are are worth listening to time after time. But the music industry is a sometimes a, a big bad business. It's definitely a big business. What mm-hmm. is needed, do you think, to reach the the pinnacle, the top of the music industry? And I I have the feeling that's that's your desire eventually. What is it going to take, do you think? Well, first of all, I think it um, it requires tough skin. It really does. There's a lot of things you got to deal with, a lot of negativity that you got to shout out. And, you know, it's also that thing where if, um, if you really believe in yourself and you have this dream, it's, you just got to work hard for it and go for it. And um, just keep doing what you want to do, and it's kind of you. You don't really know what's going to happen, but you have to bet on yourself, and you have to make, and you just have to believe in yourself, and just keep doing what you're doing. Are your mother and father supportive? You're an only child, so it's the three of you, <laughs> a family of three. Are they supportive? <laughs> yes. Oh, my parents are so supportive, and. Um, you know, I'm really lucky to have them, and they've always, you know, when I, ever since I was a little kid, they were driving me to, to lessons, and they're driving me to Scotiabank Arena because I was, you know, I was still in high school when I first started with the Leafs, and they're always there. They're always by my side, and, um, you know, whenever I have to make tough decisions or if I'm, you know, deciding to do things and make choices, they're always there. They're always very supportive. They let me do my thing, but, you know, they're very much, they're my crutch. (laughs) I'll say that. They're my crutch. I'm always leaning on them for support. And 
Um, yeah, I'm just very grateful. Yeah. And so this pandemic has forced me to stay at home and um, sit in my room and I and just be more creative and write more and create more music. And so that's what I've been doing. I've been I've been writing more stuff and I'm I'm looking to release more original songs in the next little bit and into next year. And so, you know, you can you can check out my social media and um you know, Spotify, Apple Music and all that and you can look out for some new music. There is an expression as I say goodbye to you now. We knew you when. So your name is now familiar to us and it is going to be I believe it's going to be well known the world over in absolutely no time Martina Ortiz Louise thank you for joining us in conversation my pleasure thank you so much coming up Patty and the pandemic and the med student who wrote it this is in conversation with Ann Romer is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. All right, let's just sit back and relax. Here is an excerpt from the children's book, Patty and the Pandemic. To get rid of the bugs, she washes her hands, as Patty will tell you and all of her fans. It starts with a rinse and some soap too. Then she scrubs, 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 singing happy birthday to you. Scrubbing her fingers, her nails, and both sides of her hands for 30 whole seconds, something the bad bug can't stand. By wearing a mask, washing hands, and staying six feet from others, Patty gives doctors and nurses time to help the sick recover. One by one, the sick will get better until one day we can all be together. So there you have it from Fun Gal Patty, a way to stay well and safe and happy. Nicole Creamy is a McMaster University medical student whose commitment to keeping people safe from COVID-19 led her to write a book for young people about the virus, Patty and the Pandemic, a unique way to get the message out loud and clear and with kindness and humor. Nicole Creamy joins us now in conversation. Welcome to the show. Hi, and thank you so much for having me on the show. So I know it's a children's book, but honestly, I think it should be uh, an adult's book as well. The message is strong, it's important, it's clear, and it is, uh, it's not lost on anyone that these bits of information you have in the book need to be adhered to. Why did you write it? Thank you, first of all. Um, second, I wrote the book just because, as you mentioned, this is information that all of us need to have access to. I mean, how can we be expected to follow these health protocols if we don't understand what the pandemic is all about, why the protocols are in place, and exactly what they are? And I realized that that was a privilege that younger children, specifically age three to eight, really didn't have because a lot of the information that was available to them wasn't really catered to their age group. So I just thought that this book would be a fun way to fill in that knowledge gap and then to also not only hopefully share that information, but also empower children to feel powerful and in control of their own health and a little bit less stressed out about the situation. And not frightened. There's something wonderful about the book. There's a positivity about it that that makes anyone who reads it feel 
okay about the pandemic. It is a very scary time for everyone, but you handle it so that it makes you want to find a way to battle this COVID-19. Thank you. Yes, I really, I really wanted to frame it as something that wasn't meant to be scary. And Patty really doesn't show fear throughout the whole thing. She seems more excited to kind of tackle this project and defeat this bad bug. And that's the idea is that we want other kids to feel more excited and empowered by it as well. So you're a med school student, which is a fuller than full-time job. Where did you find the time to write Patty and the Pandemic? Um, I have a saying, you don't find time, you make the time. Uh, So just, it really took a lot of dedication and heart and time management throughout the period of time that I was creating the book. I mean, it didn't really hurt to wake up a little bit earlier in order to make some illustrations. Or while I was watching modules, I would just be kind of painting in all of the drawings that I had made for the book. Um, So it was really just a lot of multitasking, kind of strict scheduling, and then, of course, the support of my family and friends was amazing throughout the entire process. So they kind of kept me sane throughout it all and made, and really, because I was so passionate about it, it was something that was fun and enjoyable, so it never really felt like much work in the first place. What did you learn about the pandemic while you were writing this? Well, while writing the book, I had the privilege of working with a mentor of mine named Joanne Kieran. So she's a public health specialist. So I got to learn a little bit more about her job and what she's been doing throughout the pandemic, as well as what their priorities are. So the book kind of forced me to take on more of an educational role in researching the pandemic and exactly what would be most important to share with other people. How did you know what to write so that children would be interested and would stay with the book? That was something that was challenging, and I did reach out to quite a few different people in order to really get some opinions um, and perspectives as to what children would benefit from the most. I think that speaking to physicians was really helpful because I was able to understand their priorities. But then also conveniently, one of the physicians I was working with, Dr. Peter Adamson, has grandchildren of his own and raised many kids of his own as well. So hearing from a parent's perspective, you know, what their kids enjoyed reading, what things in books they liked seeing and reading was really helpful in making sure that the information was not only high priority and high yield information, but it was also portrayed in a way that could be received well by the children in that age group. And, you know, speaking of information, did you have to change the content of the book at all as public health guidance changed? I did. Um, I started the book actually all the way in April. So originally the book was discussing more what a lockdown is and why it's important for people to stay home and completely isolated from their friends. And obviously that's something that's changed greatly. Thankfully, um, the rules did change throughout the summer to be more so encouraging people to wear masks and safely social distance. So that's now what I kind of changed some of the pages of the book to be more about. But it was really nice as I was creating the book and changing it throughout this iterative process to really see how far we've come as a community and as a country, really, in tackling the pandemic and being innovative in the ways that we do stay safe. You know, the content, yes, so important, but so are the illustrations in the book. Tell me about that process. So that was really fun. Um, Aside from being a medical student, I'm also a fine artist, and I've been really passionate about creating and sharing, like, the visions that I have and these ideas that I have with other people. Um, So I kind of just thought of Patty as this really 
frenzy kind of girl uh, with this curly hair, and I didn't know how to illustrate her. So I watched um, some tutorials on how to make cartoons and everything because usually my artwork is more abstract. Um, so I got to teach myself a new skill there, and then essentially I designed the character. I created different versions of her and asked people their opinions as to what they thought would be the most intriguing to open the book and actually learn more about it. But then I also drew it. Well, I sketched out each page. I drew each page, and then I would fill them in with watercolor, uh, touch it up with some other mediums, and then edit them on the computer afterwards before mm -hmm. finally putting it into the full book all the while going to med school. Uh, tell me about what a typical day is like for you as a medical school student. Um, well, being at McMaster Medical School, our days are constantly changing, really, because we have a lot of, some days we'll be completely online doing modules and lectures as things are online now just because of the pandemic. Um, but other days we'll be completely in the hospital from 7 a.m. until whatever time at night we finish. Um, so that varied all throughout the summer, which was really cool because there was never a dull moment, really. But typically, I'd wake up in the morning, do some work on the book. I'd attend some classes, maybe go to a clinical experience, and then come home and then work on the book again. So it kind of sandwiched my work day with some artwork. You're also the co-founder of something within McMaster that marries art and science. Tell me about the importance of that in your life, being able to find the balance between your artistic endeavors and your pursuit of a medical uh, degree? Definitely. Um, that is something that's really close to my heart. I think growing up, being someone that was passionate about two things that people always told me were so different, I always kind of struggled deciding what I wanted to do in my life and in my career and what would be the most impactful because on the one hand, medicine is such a fulfilling career, but I'm also very passionate about art and think it has a lot of potential to reach people and communicate with people on a more emotional level. So I guess throughout my education, that's always been a goal of mine. And I've had the pleasure of meeting some really inspirational people who have taught me more about qualitative research or shown me some studies that use art in medicine or to illustrate patient experiences and things like that. So what I've created at my school is an interest group where other medical students with similar interests and goals can meet together and we can talk about the different initiatives that we're doing such as writing a children's book or even just the artwork that we're creating in order to not only inspire each other and encourage each other but to potentially collaborate on initiatives moving forward and to build this larger network of physicians and scientists that are also passionate about the arts. You know, I'm going to ask this, and it's meant with all due respect. So, Nicole, what do you do for fun? <laughs> um, well, for fun, I'm just like any other person. I have my hobbies and my interests. So I like art, but I also really like uh, sports and being physically active. I have a great social circle that I love seeing. Um, so me and my friends, especially during the pandemic, will go for walks or just try taking on new activities together. So just really relaxing with different people that I care about and having a good time. And where are you heading in terms of your medical career? Where do you see yourself when, you, when it's all said and done? I mean, that's a big question considering that I'm in my second year of medical school. But so far I'm really interested in a field called, called otolaryngology, which is actually interesting because... The, prof the profits raised from the sales of this book are going to a charity that 
actually works with a lot of otolaryngologists where they do mission trips around the world in order to provide surgeries for children who might not otherwise have access to them. So, I mean, if you were to ask me right now, based on what I've learned about this foundation and what my current interests and passions are, I would love to be someone that's able to go on one of those mission trips in the future and be able to make a difference in other people's lives. And from a layperson's perspective, can you explain what that that challenge is, uh, what you just spoke about? I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> but what is it? What is it? <laughs> Um, otolaryngology is head and neck surgery. So what they'll do when they go on these mission trips is they'll perform surgeries such as removing complex facial tumors, uh, facial reconstructive surgeries, fixing congenital malformations or burns on individuals that might have been born with them or obtain those injuries throughout their lives. Mm. You know, you're an artist. You are hoping to be a doctor, a, a, a person of science, of medicine. Can both work in harmony, artist, doctor? Definitely. I mean, I think Patty and the pandemic is a testament to the fact that they can. I think that art has a way of connecting with people on an emotional level, where medicine is well, also connecting with people on an emotional level because everyone's health is so personal to them. So I think that using art to portray healthcare or to communicate healthcare can have the potential to be really powerful and really impactful in the community. And it's just kind of thinking outside the box enough and being creative enough throughout my career or for another artist or scientist throughout their career in order to find those ways to really marry those two passions in order to make a difference for other people is what the challenge is going to be. How much of you is in Patty? How much of me is in Patty? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I guess I mean it, it, when you wrote her and you uh, illustrated her, was there some of you in her personality and in the way she looks? I mean, I never really thought about that. I don't think I look like Patty in any way, but in her personality, I suppose I see myself back when I was her age during the SARS pandemic. Um, I mean, I was definitely... I was definitely not strong during that pandemic per se. I was only in grade one, but it was something that scared me. But I guess when I look at Patty, I see the person that I always wanted to be when I grew up, someone that was not afraid of things, someone that used knowledge in order to kind of get through things and that challenged themselves and inspired others to do the same. So I guess Patty is what I want to inspire others to be, and it's the person that I always wanted to be and that I hope that I am now. <laughs> I think you answered that beautifully. So if someone wants to get a hold of Patty and the Pandemic, uh, how do they do that? You can purchase the book at pattyandthepandemic.org, and it's also available on Amazon as well. Nicole Creamy, what a spectacular event, the, the creation of Patty and the Pandemic and the book that you've put together, but also your your steadfast commitment to a medical career. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you balance everything and continue to be the bright light that you are, but thank you for being you. Thank you so much. Nicole Creamy, oh, what a balancing act. Book writing and med school and then some. How does she do it? You know, we could all take a page from her book. Martina Ortiz-Luis, music was and still is the key to becoming the amazing person she is today. 
up-and-comers. Very, very bright futures. I'm Ann Romer. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.